From the McGrath Institute for Church Life and OSV Podcast, this is Church Life Today. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. In initiating the Synod on Synodality, which is set to run through 2024, Pope Francis sought to lead the whole church into a time of prayer, listening, and discernment. His hope is to foster these dispositions and habits within the church as the regular way of living ecclesial life together. As this particular synodal process moves from the continental stage to the universal stage, we wanted to spend some time getting a better sense of what this synod is all about and why it has been called. Our guest today is well-positioned to help us along. Sister Marie Colby Zamora is currently serving in the Vatican's General Secretariat of the Synod. She is a Franciscan Sister of Christian Charity who completed her advanced degrees in theology at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome, writing her dissertation on the ecclesiological elements in the early theology of St. Bonaventure. She joins us from Rome, where she has been living most recently since 2021. Sister Marie Colby, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lenny. Thank you for having me on the show. It's great to be with you. Now, Sister Marie, I get the sense that there remains, for some, a lack of clarity or understanding about what exactly is the Synod on Synodality and why it is happening. Now, you're immersed in this ongoing process day in and day out, so I thought maybe a place to start would be to ask you if you could please help those who may not fully understand what is going on with this Synod and why it's been called, what it is, and why it's been called. Yeah, so this is a this is a good place to start. Um, as a church, we are accustomed to having these synods of bishops being meetings. Uh, in the past, a synod of bishops was a very one meeting held over one month in one year. It was programmed maybe two three years out, and then in a year after the meeting, there was a document but it was essentially viewed as a meeting of bishops, okay? This synod, um, because the church is comprised of more than the bishops alone, and because this is um, central, I think, to Pope Francis's pontificate, really, is to try to recover a sense of the people of God as a whole, he is working to transition the synod away from being merely a meeting and to spearheading a new way of being church, okay? So the synod is no longer understood as merely a meeting, but the synod is now understood as spearheading a process by which the entire people of God can contribute to what will eventually be also a meeting of bishops in the Vatican coming up here in October, but the entire people of God can contribute to this aspect of the synod, okay? Second thing to say about the synod, um, or this particular synod, we are accustomed to synods being called around a very specific topic. So, for example, the synod on the church in the Amazon or the Synod on the Family, or the Synod on Episcopal Conferences way back at the beginning, okay? But the Synod, the the questions around this Synod are not about a topic. The questions around this Synod are about the, the, the life of the church as a whole. And so what I like to say is this Synod, the question that this Synod is asking is, 
how are we doing as a family? And the, and the we includes everybody. The we includes um, from the, the, the smallest of the baptized in a parish to the married couples in a parish, to the, to the pastor at a parish, to the bishop, to all of the bishops, to the Holy Father. How are we all as a whole doing as a family, as a church, as the people of God? Does that help? It does. Yeah, that's a very nice place to start. You know, I wonder if one of the the things that sort of gets in the way for the understanding of some of us, I, I actually tripped on this a few times, is, is the double use, perhaps, of the word synod, right? So yeah. there's the synod of bishops, and then here we're talking about synodality. So you mentioned that this is uh, the this yeah. synod is uh, different, perhaps, from other synods of the ways in which synods have been thought of. Yeah. I wonder if you might comment on that. Like, why why this term synodality, which actually, you know, mm. shares this word with synod of bishops and maybe speak a little bit about what is the synod of bishops yep. and then how is that distinct from synodality? Or, or yeah, distinct from and then related. Or related, to, related sure, and sure, distinct, sure. sure. So um, the synod of bishops, it was uh, one of the, probably one of the greatest uh, contributions of Vatican II. It was... Pope Paul VI wished for a way to meet more frequently with bishops who could help him in his exercise of his pastoral, in his pastoral responsibility as the Holy Father. He wanted a way to be able to meet with more bishops more steadily, uh, short of an ecumenical uh, uh, council. And so in order to avail himself of the help of bishops from around the world, he uh, promulgated essentially this, the Synod of Bishops, a new institution in the wake of Vatican II that would meet at, essentially at his will uh, to, to discuss various topics, okay? But as time has gone on since... Uh, since the closing of Vatican II, and, and we struggle to receive and live the teaching of Vatican II, we have now Pope Francis. Pope Francis is the first pope, no, he's, a, he's the first pope we've had who was ordained after Vatican II. So in a sense, all of his formation is Vatican II formation. He, he has no, there's no residue in him of, of any pre-Vatican II formative life, so to speak. So his sensibility is that, okay, we need, bishops need to meet, there's no doubt about it, and bishops need to be helping me with my um, Petrine ministry, no doubt about that either. But bishops also need to be meeting with their people because, again, another one of the great recoveries of Vatican II was the sense of the entirety of the church as inerrant, the sense that the, that the gift of infallibility has been given to the entirety of the faithful and when bishops don't consult the faithful, their, their ministry in their own diocese and then their ability to help the Pope in his ministry is handicapped, okay? So um, over many years, I'm discovering, essentially since 2000, probably 2004 and moving forward, but even before, really, since the 1990s, people have begun speaking about synodality um, synodality, meaning 
so so in the way the bishops minister together as a body and help the Holy Father in his ministry, okay, the whole church also needs to be sort of engaged in the church's ministry together, in the church's mission together, um, so that they can then also bear witness to their bishops, who then will be able to pastor them better, who then will be able to help the Holy Father better, okay? So synodality then is a way of expanding the idea of walking together from just bishops walking together and ministering together and serving the church together to the entirety of the people of God walking together, ministering together, serving the people of God together, each in his or her own proper function place in the church, okay, but everybody together. Excellent. Excellent. When you are speaking about everybody together and sort of taking um, responsibility for the life and the, you know, the well-being of the church, this being not just the responsibility, as you're saying, of the synod of bishops, the bishops together, but in fact, the responsibility of everyone in the church, it brings us, I think, to another uh, term that's been sort of recovered or reproposed perhaps in the last couple decades, which is co-responsibility. So we have synodality, as you're speaking about, and we also have this sense of co-responsibility and uh, Pope Benedict followed by Pope Francis speaking about co-responsibility as being uh, all of the faithful, the lay along with the clergy, responsible for the mission and the life of the church together. Are these terms, as you understand them, co-responsibility and synodality synonymous? Is there a distinction, relationship between them? Could you, could you help us grasp those a little bit? So synodality then would be probably a broader term that would include co-responsibility. Um, if I were to make anything synonymous, I'd have to think about this some, but to me, the terms that seem synonymous to me would be synodality and ecclesial communion. Um or maybe ecclesial communion as gift of the Holy Spirit is the soil for a synodal church, okay? But a synodal church then is a church in which all of the members are co-responsible for the mission entrusted to the church. So co-responsibility then is an aspect of a church that is becoming more fully synodal, and here, you know, if you don't mind a story, it just comes to mind, and it's it's a great story. I remember um, I was, this was many years ago, I was at a diocesan conference for leaders, and one of the cardinals from the United States was a, a featured speaker of that uh, conference. And I won't name this cardinal, but he's somebody for whom I have a lot of respect. My first theology textbook was written by this man when he was still a priest, I think. He was working with a couple of other priests. And so this would have been in the 1970s when things were anything but clear and you know we needed we needed some guidance. Okay. So this man is a lot for the for the transmission of the faith in the United States and I have a high regard for him. He told a story. He was preaching one day in a parish and he said something during his homily and I don't remember what the content was, but let's say he said, Jesus is divine, okay? And after Mass, he, he, he leaves, and he's standing in the vestibule or in the, in the narthex of the church, and everybody's coming out, and he's greeting everybody. And there's a little boy with his mom, and the little boy is looking at him like with a big question on his face. 
And so the, the mom is encouraging him to ask his question, and the cardinal is clearly open to this question. So the little boy asks the cardinal, is it really true that Jesus is God? And in the, in, the, in the silence that follows this question, the cardinal is looking at the boy, the boy is looking at the cardinal, and the boy looks up at his mother. Okay. Well, the cardinal says, actually, I'm sorry, the cardinal says, yes, it is true that Jesus is God. And then in the silence that follows that response, the, the boy is looking up at the cardinal, and the cardinal, then the boy looks up at his mother. His mother nods her head. And the boy was back in the conversation with the cardinal and kept going. But if the mother had not had shook her head and, and kind of tsk, tsk, you know, no, that's the boy would have remained polite in the conversation, but that boy would have been lost to the church. The mother and her authority as mother in that relationship and her ecclesial place as mother enabled that boy to remain in conversation with the cardinal and to remain open, not only to his teaching in that homily, to, but to any further teaching that that cardinal or any other bishop will, will, will speak to that boy, who's now, I'm sure, a man, hopefully doing great things for the church. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is a great story. The confirmation of the mother to the reception of the faith came through yeah, her authority exactly for him. exactly right. And without mm. that, he would have been lost. So the bishop's right, authority there right. wasn't Lovely enough. Story. The bishop's authority there was authoritative, and right. it was true, but it was not enough. Mm, that is an excellent story. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. I'm talking with Sister Marie Colby Zamora, a Franciscan sister of Christian charity who is currently serving on staff at the Vatican's General Secretariat of the Synod, which continues to plan the Synod on Synodality. Special thanks today to our episode sponsor, HolyArt.com. HolyArt.com is the first Italian e-commerce site dedicated exclusively to religious items, church supplies, and Catholic gifts. They feature over 60,000 items made in Italy and ready to be shipped anywhere in the world. Visit HolyArt.com today, where you can receive 20% off an order by using the code OSV20. That's OSV20. Now, sister, you were kind enough to share with me uh, some some of your own writings on the Synod and the ongoing process. Yep. And one of the areas I really wanted to take up and talk uh, more about, if you're willing, is breaking open a term that actually becomes a sort of compound term. It brings together two terms, yep. and that term is the census fidei fidelium. Yep. Now, I think we need to spend uh, maybe a good bit of time here in our conversation, but maybe the first part is uh, to follow up on the observation you're main, making, which is that there are actually, as I was saying, two terms that are put together here, the census fidei, the sense of the faith, yeah. and the census fidelium, the sense of the faithful. So maybe the place to start by by going into this area, which is an important area of our discussion, is to ask you to speak about the distinction and the relationship between these two terms, the census fidei and the census fidelium, and then maybe we can talk about the importance of that for synodality. Okay. So the census fidei first. The census fidei, or the sense of the faith, okay, is 
as understood and taught and communicated by the church, okay? An instinctual, so pre-rational almost, sense that each of the baptized is given by the Holy Spirit that enables them to grasp, again, instinctually, theological faith. The faith of the church, the faith has revealed the divine revelation made present to us in the Lord Jesus. Okay. So it's an instinctual sense by gift of the Holy Spirit communicated to us in baptism that enables us to hone in on that which accords with divine revelation, i.e., the person of Jesus, his gospel, and how that's transmitted in the church. All right. And then also to um, identify that which is not consonant with divine revelation, the gospel, and the way that's communicated in the church, okay? So sensus fidei focuses on this divine revelation and, and my the face that this divine revelation communicates, all right? The sensus fidelium, so you, I mean, the two terms are related, but the sense of the faithful then is meant to be the sense of the faith, okay? In other words, the body of Christ, the, the, the entirety of the baptized here, all right, have been invested with the sensus fidei, which means that when the entirety of the body of Christ is acting, speaking out of this sense of the faith, okay? It enables each one and everybody altogether to participate infallibly even in this theological faith. Because theological faith in itself, when it's in reference to its proper object, that is the God of revelation, it cannot err. Theological faith cannot err. That would be as to say that theological faith can err would be to say that the Holy Spirit gives us a gift that, that leads us astray. Okay. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't do that. So we each one have been gifted, have been invested with this gift of the Holy Spirit of theological faith that doesn't err. And when all of the faithful are are um, authentically engaged in this, okay, all of the faithful, that is the entirety of the church, infallibly participates in that faith. And so then the entire, the sensus fidei fidelium, all right, properly understood, properly engaged, authentically engaged, does not err, okay? Now, as you're speaking of, especially here beginning with the sensus yep. fidei, and as you, you speak of this instinctual yep. fen, uh, sense of given yep. to the baptized for theological faith, is there a way in which that sense and so it sounds strange to say like that, which is pre-rational would need something, but does that sense need to be tutored? That is to say, does that sense need to be instructed, directed so that the sense of each of the faithful and of all the faithful together is actually holding charitably and faithfully to the truth yeah, of the gospel? This is a good question too. So yes, I mean, in a certain sense, it does need to be, yes, for sure. Okay. Um, there's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. All right. Um, but, but, but I think more deeply, 
and we might return to that, okay? But I think more deeply, um, I, uh, yeah, sure. the baptized need, need to be made aware. Each one of us needs to be made aware that we really are, because of our baptism, we are no longer merely, uh, we're no longer merely a creature, though we are a creature, but we're not merely a creature, okay? We, we are divinized. We, we've become home to divine life. The divinity has invested in us. So we are now, by grace, each of the baptized by grace is a divine human reality. And it seems to me that it's a lack of awareness in the baptized of this divine human reality that we are. I mean, some of us would probably think that's a scandalous thing to say. I'm a divine human reality. I am being divinized, but this is the teaching of the church. Okay, without this very fundamental understanding of myself as a human person who is being divinized, okay, um, no amount of training is going to do any good because all of my theological, even if it's theological training and even if it's good theological training, is going to stay human, mm -hmm. strategic, flesh brain, mm -hmm. sarks kind of training. Okay, so I can be a great apologist but I'm operating on a merely human level. And I'm, so I'm understanding the church on a merely human level. Mm. Okay. So before even the training, even the theological training, each person needs to be formed, introduced to the reality that we are home to the divinity and that we're living a divinized life. And here, another story, this one of a father, I, I knew of a dad, he, he told me this story yeah, of himself. Please. He said when he, when he became a father, um, he was so uh, astonished and in awe at the life of his children, just the human life of his children, but then when they became baptized, at the divinity alive in them, that when he would put them mm. to bed in reverence for the divinity alive in them, he'd kiss them on the chest as his way to reverence God mm. alive in each of his children. That is the kind of formation that needs to be happening way before we get into school with the theologians. Without that, school with the theologians is just going to become, <laughs> we, we kind of just fight with each other and then we're kind of not doing too much good. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, you know, to become as the Holy Father has asked, a more synodal church that is more regularly involved, let's say, in yep. consultation, in dialogue, in listening, but also yep. in, in speaking. We would know, you know, even to think here of a family, that to really be honest in the sharing of a family, there will be yep. disagreements. And following from, you know, there'll be agreement and there'll be learning, but there's also going to be, at some point, fundamental yep. disagreements, let's say. And I'm wondering here about the kind of fundamental disagreements where different members of the faithful, perhaps yep. in groups, not just as tribes, but, you know, finding yep. other people, you know, who, who understand as you understand. Each of these groups or of individual uh, Catholics, let's say, are claiming uh, the position of the sense of the faith. Like this is I'm speaking to the gospel, and yet there's huge disagreement here. And it's some of these disagreements may not just be matters yeah. of 
uh, sort of preference or flavor or taste, but fundamental disagreements about the life of the church and, in fact, the truth of the faith. So this, I mean, this comes down to some of the rub here, right? Like how in a more synodal way is that adjudicated, dealt with, um, this space for, you know, it's conflict. It might be charitable and fraternal conflict, but it's, it's conflict. And, um, how do we account for that? Well, account for, I mean, it's just, it's in front of everybody's eyes. It's, you know, so the, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind as you ask that question, you know, how does the church account for this? How does the church handle this? Very slowly. Hmm. <laughs> in the in the church's preferred speed, very, very slowly. slowly. Yes. Um, and it is the church's preferred speed, and um, it's a speed that is even less appreciated today when we can communicate so quickly, even yes. as, as we're communicating you and I right now. Okay. Right. But an, yes, an ocean apart, exactly we're talking. Right. Yes. Very slowly. Um, why do I say very slowly? Because in a synodal church, the goal would be to make decisions in such a way that you have practically a majority on board. Okay. What Pope Francis is saying is it's it's no longer sufficient to have a majority of bishops on board in ecumenical council. What he's trying to say is we need all of the church on board as we decide. And so if the church has moved slowly in the past, when when only bishops needed to be sort of where the decision makers were on board, even more now do we need to we mm. need to be moving way more slowly, it seems to me. So first, slowly. Second, um the bishops have their work cut out for them, and I pray every day, okay? Um, because at a certain point, the bishops also need to speak. I mean, a listening church is a listening church, okay? And I receive, as a religious in this church, I receive the teachings of the bishops, um, and their person also, as representatives of the person of the Lord Jesus, and, as rep- and then their teaching also as his Okay, um, so you can imagine how hurt I am as a Catholic when I see and hear the bishops among themselves divided. It doesn't help matters, mm. okay? Another reason to go very slowly, because the bishops themselves all need to decide, okay, we're, we're on the same page, okay? Because until they're all on the same page, it's going to be tough to get everybody else on the same page. But the bishops are going to need to exercise mm. at a certain point also their leadership, their apostolic leadership in helping the church, leading the church discern where the voice of the Holy Spirit is. And so I pray that they're able to do that. And I pray mm-hmm. that the people of God are able to receive that as well. All of this depends on, again, the census fidei fidelium. Am I, am, I, am I really looking for 
for the faith, okay, or to just even boil this down more, am I really looking to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Or am I looking to hear my ecclesial position confirmed? Wherever that ecclesial position happens mm, to be. That's well put. Okay, and you can imagine a million ecclesial positions, right, left, and middle of center. Okay, all right? Right. Am I look, yes. am, do I want God? Indeed. Do I want the Holy Spirit and his voice? And that's, I ask myself that as a member of the faithful. The bishops, I think, also need to ask themselves that as well. All of us need to ask that. Am I looking for the voice of the Holy Spirit? Or am I just looking to have my ecclesial position affirmed? This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. I am talking with Sister Marie Colby Zamora, Franciscan Sister of Christian Charity, currently serving on staff at the Vatican's General Secretariat of the Synod, which is continuing to plan the Synod on Synodality. Once again, special thanks to our episode sponsor today, HolyArt.com, the first Italian e-commerce site dedicated exclusively to religious items, church supplies, Catholic gifts. They feature over 60,000 items that are made in Italy and ready to be shipped anywhere in the world. Visit HolyArt.com today. You can receive 20% off an order by using the code OSV20. That's OSV20. Maybe one place for us to go here at the end is... Um, I wonder if especially our American listeners uh, might be interested in knowing a little bit about an American like yourself uh, finding themselves working at the Vatican and what what it is like to actually work at the Vatican. Because I think those of us, especially who spend our time in the States and maybe elsewhere, uh, we have an idea of what the Vatican is like and, you know, what's going on day to day. So can you give us a little sense oh, of what it's really well, like mean, think, to work there? Well, well so I, my first response is this. Uh, those of you who have worked in in diocese in Curia, or maybe who have worked for the Episcopal Conference, uh-huh. working for the Vatican is probably like working for a diocese in Curia on steroids, to put it sort of simply. You know, <laughs> um, I think some of the same dynamics sure. and some of the, some of the same joys and some of the same struggles exist here. Okay. Um, a huge reality, though, that um, is it, it is the Vatican, okay, is it's Italian soil, okay, <laughs> um, and yeah. So I, as a person, I love Italy. In fact, I don't know why the Lord calls me to live in Italy for these stretches of time and then back to the states because I'm always better in Italy in every way. I love Italy. <laughs> Italy loves me back. I, I, okay, yep. and and so the intricacies <laughs> of the relating um, that is typical in Italy, I enter into without too much of a problem. Okay, but that said, most Americans would find the there's a huge difference in professional um, courtesy culture. Okay. Um, hmm. Whereas in the United States, professional courtesy culture it tends to be sort of objective. There are objective criteria, objective behaviors that everybody okay, everybody needs to meet, etc. Um, in Italy and at the Vatican, it's all about the relationships. So whether or not there are objective criteria for professionality, if the relationships are working. 
they're working and everything is moving ahead. So for an American, this is yeah. kind of, could be jarring, you know, um, so it just requires a whole nother approach um, and a, a peacefulness about just existing in the amalgam of all of these relationships yeah. and helping them all move forward in peace. Um, and then not minding that things are mm. going to take forever because the relationships take forever. <laughs> um, I have to say I'm blessed to work with Cardinal Gregg. He's a, he's a gracious uh, and kind respectful man. Um, so I'm blessed. I, I can't complain. Yeah. Well, and I also know just from experience now that one of the great benefits of where you work, which is right there in the Via della Conciliazione leading up to St. Peter's Square, is that walking distance, yeah, yeah. well, everything's walking distance from where you are, but very, very brief walking distance is an incredible <laughs> wine bar that you took us to when we were visiting yep. with you just a few weeks ago. Just an unbelievable place. You sit down for people. I mean, people are listening. Everybody's listening. You're going to have to imagine this. Uh I don't know, it's maybe uh, a room that's 40 or 50 feet long and maybe 25 feet wide. And every inch of the walls is covered <laughs> is is you'll find a yeah. bottle of wine, different yeah. wine from floor to ceiling. It was really an incredible place. We we didn't make a dent in the in the selection there, but we had a great meal together. And as you were saying, you love Italy and certainly Italy loves you. The people there just absolutely loved you. We felt like we were dining with royalty by being with you. Great. It was terrific. Oh. So, <laughs> I know that's a special it was great. That is a special, uh, special benefit there. So, sister, as we come to a close and we've been talking about uh, the ongoing work of the Synod and the various stages um, of listening and, and seeking to really uncover the sense of the faith of the faithful, what for for those who are following or perhaps haven't been very closely following what is taking place, what will be some of the next steps in the development of so this synodal process? Point- um, all seven of the continental meetings have been held. Actually, the last one right is being held right now. It's it's closing mm. up right now in Latin America, Bogota, Colombia. Once all of mm. once each of the seven continents have sent to our office um, their sort of summary uh, and their ongoing discernment relative to the church in their area. People will gather at our office uh, to work on writing the instrumentum laboris that will then, so that will sort of pick up the main uh, threads from each of the seven continental meetings. Okay. And then this instrumentum laboris will be entrusted to all of the participants at the October assembly. So, so hmm. prayers for the October assembly. I think one of the new uh, approaches to this assembly is the fact that it's beginning with a moment of prayer, but also a three-day retreat. So prayer is critical to the whole process. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yep. Indeed, indeed. Well, Sister Marie... Colby, thank you so much for spending this time with us and helping us to understand better this synodal process and to open our understanding to the way forward. You've been very generous with your time and with your wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you too, Lenny. It's been great to be with you. 
and we'll look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks also to all of you, as always, for joining us on Church Life Today. This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com.